This week on One Body, Stewarding God's Creation, Sister Mary Agnes and Sister John Marie talk about the seven sorrows of Mary. One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. What are the seven sorrows? What can Our Lady's Sorrow teach us about our own salvation? We'll answer this and much more. Sister Mary Agnes and Sister John Marie are being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Jim Mall. So I have Sister Mary Agnes. Uh, she's from Wichita, Kansas, but her grandparents grew up in Hayes, so she's very familiar with the Volga German heritage, which also includes the very Catholic heritage, thank God. Sister John Marie's father is from Hayes, and her mother is from Victoria. As she grew up, the family traveled a great deal with her father's military career, but Hayes and Victoria were always home base. Both sisters professed their final vows in June of 2008 with the Immaculate Heart of Mary Order out of Colwich, Kansas. Those of you that you don't know, Colwich is a suburb of Wichita on the west side. In August, four sisters from their order moved to Hayes to help teach in our Catholic schools. Sister Mary Agnes teaches high school religion at Thomas More Prep Marion in Hayes, where she instructs freshmen and juniors. Sister John Marie is a catechist for catechesis of the Good Shepherd at Holy Family Elementary in Hayes, as well as helping with the preschool program. So, Sister Mary Agnes, Sister John Marie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. We're so happy to be here with you. Thank yes, you. Thank you. Uh, as I said, we will start in prayer. Uh, so, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This is the Seven Sorrows Prayer. It says, O God, in whose passion, accordingly to the prophecy of Simeon, a sword of grief pierced through the most sweet soul of thy glorious blessed Virgin Mother Mary. Grant that we, who celebrate the memory of her, seven sorrows may obtain the happy effect of your passion, who lives and reigns world without end. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, we are visiting with Sister Mary Agnes and Sister John Marie, and we're going to be speaking on the seven sorrows of Mary. So, when did the Seven Sorrows devotion begin, and why? <laughs> That's a great question. I teach church history. I've taught it for many years, and I find that most people find history a little dull and boring. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. However, this is a great place to start talking about devotion to Our Lady because it really starts with the life of Christ. So we notice that Our Lady walks with our Lord at every step of his life, and he is the man of sorrows. So we know that he had a love for his mother, and therefore you could say he is probably the first who had a love for Our Lady of Sorrows because he knew she would be with him and sharing in that throughout everything, the, the good times and the more difficult times. But if you would like to look at it more on the side of how does the church uh, start to grow in this love and devotion for Our Lady, I guess you could say if you look more towards the uh, Middle Ages, there would be a time where uh, different religious orders or particular saints really just felt called to give emphasis and love to Our Lady and devotion to her through her sorrows. So it's not like it had to have um, an organic development other than the fact that our Lord loved Our Lady. She was one who walked with him throughout his life. And then eventually, as the church is meditating upon Christ, his life, and Our Lady, you realize, how, how was it that she, who loved him so much, could also endure so much sorrow? And what does that teach us about how to love Christ? So 
after the uh, maybe 11th century, 12th century, the Servite Order is probably one that is very well noted for spreading devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows, and they were founded in the 13th century. So you can really hallmark that century as a time where devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows really started to blossom. Our order was founded in 1848. Our father founder, Father Joaquin, loved the devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows. He had a very strong affinity for the Servite spirituality and charism. And so when he founded our order, he very much desired that we would be able to be deeply immersed in that same love and devotion. Therefore, our order um, is able to, to grow in that, to love that devotion, and uh, in between that time, uh, you could look at different times where the popes are encouraging devotion by establishing feast days in honor of Our Lady of Sorrows. So there's a lot you could say about the history, but those are maybe some hallmark moments. Excellent. Thoughts on that? I think that she, sister stated it very well. <laughs> I, I think she did too, very well. Um, and as you were speaking, and this is something that I don't think any of us can imagine, but, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I am a convert to Catholicism, so I don't know a lot about it, but I, I've been a Catholic for 30 years, uh, still learning. But I can't imagine, and I, I think, uh, and, and maybe we'll come to this, but I think Simeon told Mary all the suffering she was going to go through. Um, I can't imagine, I, and I have children. I have grandchildren, and, and when they suffer, I suffer. And so I can't even imagine when, you know, someone, t and, and she says, okay, that's fine. I'll go ahead and take that. I'll, I'll bear that cross anyway. I mean, and it wasn't just easy suffering. Like you said, he's a man of sorrows. Mm -hmm. So that, that's, to me, I just, I'm just amazed. And, and that's one of the things that um, I, I pray every day that I will get to heaven. And I, I, I want to sit with Mary someday and ask her about that to say, mm -hmm. how did you handle it? You know, and, and we watched the movie, uh, The Passion, and, and as she, you know, stands at the foot of the cross, it just tears my heart out. Well, I'd say ask her in eternity, but ask her now, too, okay. in prayer, because okay. you might have all kinds of insights you never thought of if you take the time in silence with Mary to ask her now. I will do that. Thank you. You're okay. welcome. Um, how, you mentioned the seven sorrows being important to your order, but talk about the seven sorrows devotion and, and how important it is to your order. You mentioned that, that your founder thought that this was very important. Ex expand on that. Yes, I could start by kind of telling the story of his initial inspiration. Every religious community has what's called a charism, a, a special gift from the Holy Spirit that's meant to be a gift for the church at any particular time in history. And there are such a variety of charisms. So our father, founder, Father Joaquin, was a diocesan priest. He's living in Spain, and we think, oh, the 1800s, that was probably a really great time in history. It was challenging. I'll bet. Spanish history is just <laughs> filled with a lot of turmoil yeah. and suffering. So in society at that time, it was very difficult to be a Catholic. The government was persecuting Catholics. And in the midst of that, here he is in prayer one day in one of their parish churches. He was praying before an image of the Pieta, which is Our Lady, holding Jesus after he's taken down from the cross. I think a lot of people are familiar with the beautiful statue of Michelangelo mm -hmm. in Rome in the St. Peter's Basilica, but this was a Spanish version of that particular statue. And it was graphic. Uh, here he is praying in front of the statue of Our Lady and Our Lord, and Jesus is covered in wounds. His mm -hmm. whole body has been completely 
you know, as we know, mutilated through the passion. And he was praying and recognizing not just our Lord and all of the wounds covering his body, which are basically a result of our sins, but he was gazing upon the face of Our Lady and looking at her eyes and then reflecting upon what was going on in her mind and her heart in that time spent with our Lord's body after it's taken down from the cross, his heart was pierced deeply. And in that experience, he felt very called by the Holy Spirit to consider what can I do to help prevent an eighth sort of sorrow from piercing Our Lady's heart? What will it take to be able to make reparation for sin? And so that devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows, and then also this recognition, what more can be done now, looking back on what our Lord has done for us? And so in that moment, he felt very called to found a community that would be able to pray for the conversion of sinners, to help with the re-evangelization of society, and then also in that, to be able to acknowledge, how can we grow in love and devotion to Our Lady, who suffered so much in union with our Lord as well? So thinking of all of those beautiful graces and gifts from the Holy Spirit, then as time went on, he was able to move forward with that great inspiration, and that was what led to the founding of our community. Sister Jean-Marie? Well, just to add to what Sister said, she talked about an eighth sword, and we're probably familiar with the seven sorrows of Mary, um, which are things that she has already experienced historically. And then with the eighth sword, Father Masmija um, foresaw how much Our Lady's heart would be pierced with sorrow when sinners reject the merits of conversion that Jesus has won for them with so much love. Mm-hmm. And so our reparation and then our formation of the youth through Catholic education to help them with um, becoming good Catholic Christians is intended to prevent the eighth sword. The re-evangelization of society is to help people respond to the graces our Lord has won for them so that they might experience happiness in this life and eternal happiness, you know, the happiness of communion with God, whereas sin is separating oneself from God and it leads to misery. Um, so that's something that Father Masmija put into the introduction to our original constitutions or kind of guidelines for how the sisters would live, um, that the sisters would ponder um, the life of Jesus and Mary's participation in his sorrows, and that would be part of the prayer that we offer for the conversion of sinners and begging from the divine mercy um, the grace, an interior grace for sinners that don't, who don't know how to turn to God perhaps or are afraid to or are disgruntled or bitter or don't know him yet. And so we were to be offering something on their behalf, you know, as God gives without us meriting something, we're trying to help mer- or gain grace for people to come to him who don't know how. Um, and then sister, you talked earlier about how our habit expresses our <laughs> <Yes>. devotion. <laughs> That's so true. Well, Father, Father Masmija, <clears throat> he obviously in writing our constitutions and wanting us to be able to express this charism beautifully also wanted our habit to be a sign of that and our original habit our current habit that we wear is inundated with signs of devotion to our lady of sorrows one of the most striking is our heart and we Mm -hmm. have had many people come up to us and say that is very beautiful Mm -hmm. and there are so many images of the immaculate heart of mary Mm -hmm. But our heart was designed specifically by our founder of our community, and he wanted the heart of Mary to be assigned to others, a, a reminder of her, but also that hopefully we would imitate that. Like, 
our sisters would be a sign of Our Lady for others as well. And acknowledging that her Immaculate Heart is so beautiful and the flame at the top signifies the charity of the God's love just welling forth from within her, the three roses signifying her beautiful virtues, but it's pierced by a sword. It is. And so that's also what some people notice and they realize, why is the sword there as well? Mm -hmm. And that's a good reminder that her Immaculate Heart is the pierced heart. And so therefore, to be able to acknowledge that as we grow in love for Our Lady, we get to know her and her life, but she is going to lead us directly to our Lord. And she wants us to receive the merits of the passion. She wants us to experience the gift of salvation. And that, that sword is a reminder of the cross. So from that, uh, our heart, I love it. I'm so glad we get to wear it. Nice. Sometimes we call it a badge, and we've had little children say, are you like police officers? <laughs> <laughs> like, not quite, I guess you consider us. Yeah. Um, we, are, we are definitely one, though, who, who's in God's service. Mm-hmm. And so to be that beautiful reminder of Our Lady and that she's with us, and her heart reminds us, hopefully, to have a heart like hers. But then from our heart, obviously another very visible sign of our habit is the color. So our habit is blue. But as it's a we, beautiful blue, yes. Yes. It's a deep royal blue. It is a deep, deep blue. And so that the dark blue is a significant color because blue is obviously for Our Lady, but the dark blue, a sign again of her sorrows. And then the last part of her habit that is just very closely associated to Our Lady of Sorrows is what is called the dolors or the rosary of the seven sorrows, mm-hmm. which we wear on the left side of our cincture, which is like a belt that we wear around our waist. So the symbolism of how we wear it and where we wear it is also really beautiful. So we wear it on our left side and in ancient traditions where sword fighting was very common, those who bore a sword usually wear it on their left hip. And we say that is why we wear the rosary on our left hip because it truly is a spiritual weapon, which is great and we pray it and that is our desire to allow the enemy to be defeated through prayer. The second thing that's really beautiful about how we wear the dolors is that we wear it in the shape of a heart. So thinking about that reminder again of Our Lady's heart as pierced with those seven swords of sorrow and how much we so desire through prayer and imitation of her just to be able to grow in our devotion for her. That is awesome. Thank you for that. that this, like I said, I knew this was going to be interesting, but this is getting really good. So again, we are visiting with uh, Sister John Marie and Sister Mary Agnes on the Seven Sorrows of Mary. So can we go through the Seven Sorrows? Uh, can we spend a little time? Because it's interesting again to me. I mean, we're very familiar with the rosary. Everybody mm-hmm. prays the rosary a lot. We're not familiar with, with that much, and, and we're going to talk a little bit later on how to pray um, you know, a rosary or a meditation with the Seven Sorrows, and we'll come to that. So, But yeah, first, let, let's go there. Um, a or number one is the first sorrow is the prophecy of Simeon. Yes, you already have spoken about that. Um, I thought it was interesting when you said Simeon told her everything she would experience. Um, actually, it was very veiled. She oh, didn't really? know everything, right? Um, which is uh, maybe another part of the sorrow. Um, so Simeon said to Mary, well, he prophesied, um, here, there's just a Bible sitting right here, so um, if anybody <laughs> wants to look it up, <laughs> it's in the Gospel according to St. Luke, um, chapter 2. And Simeon um, is coming to find a mess- encounter the Messiah in the temple, starting in verse 22. But he has this prophecy 
Um, so he says, Master, you may let your servant go in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. Okay, we know this is the a joyful mystery of the rosary, mm -hmm. right? Back to back with the first sorrow. Because immediately after this, Simeon blesses them and turns to Mary and says, this child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The end. Not the end, but the end of his statement. Right. He didn't explain it all away. So she had this mystery before her that Jesus is the light to the nations and then he will be for the fall and rise of many in Israel. There's something, she knows her child is great. He's the son of the most high. Um, but now it's being foretold that he will be rejected. Well, the fall and the rise, that's interesting too, mm -hmm. because falling and then rising comes afterward, which is a sign of hope. But a sword will pierce your own soul. And she didn't know exactly when that would come, what it would look like, how many times this would happen. Um, there was a lot of mystery before her which looks to me like an invitation to trust. You know, we know that she said um, her fiat, her let it be done to me at her enunciation, but she was repeating that over and over throughout her life. And this had to be a time where in her heart she repeated, yes, Lord, fiat, let it be done to me. I trust you. What's the next step? You know, and um, it wasn't all explained away, which is such a beautiful model for us. Like she totally gave her heart and life over to God and trusted him and didn't demand to be in control of everything. Um, so this sorrow is maybe partly the unknown nature of Jesus' suffering. Isn't that true in our lives too? Yeah, and it kind of kind of gives us the, the, the faith now to say, okay, because there's the saying, and I'm not sure if it's biblical or not, but you know, they say that God will not give you more than what you can handle. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what you're saying is, is you know, obviously God knew this was going to happen, but, you know, and Simeon may have known more, but he was only instructed to give her this much of it. I don't know. We don't know that. That's not revealed to us either. <laughs> Another question for the next life, right? <laughs> yes. I got a lot of them. I have a lot of them. Uh, anything further on the, on the first sorrow? Any comments on that? Well, if I just thought one more thing that might be beautiful to think about is that St. Joseph is also a part of this mystery, and Our Lady hearing that her, her soul is going to be pierced with a sword of sorrow. And Joseph hearing that about his beautiful, lovely wife and knowing this about his son, uh, obviously that realization that his sorrow would be very great as well. And Our Lady not knowing what that sorrow would be, but just accepting that. And that's one of the beautiful ways that we can imitate Our Lady is just realizing we know that the Lord is going to allow things in our life sometimes that are going to be difficult but he's with us, and she realizes that, and Joseph gets to share in all of that as well. So I know that sometimes he's very hidden, and we don't talk a lot about him, but he, he also is a part of that mystery and shares in that sorrow as well. Of course, being a spouse, mm -hmm. as I am, uh, a husband or a father, uh, a protector, mm -hmm. my first thought was, okay, who's after my wife? You know, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm on the watch out now. Uh -huh. You know, and that would be difficult, especially back in those days. But anyway, anything else on the first sorrow? Okay. The second sorrow, the flight into Egypt. So now, turning in the Bible to Matthew. So Luke and Matthew have all we know about Jesus' young life. 
So in the hmm, second chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, um, the flight into Egypt. Well, um, St. Joseph is told in a dream that uh, Herod, who's reigning in the local area, would like to destroy him. So he says, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. So, once again, here St. Joseph is highlighted. Um, and here again we see the invitation to an unconditional response of, of trust on the part of St. Joseph and Mary. No angel came to Mary this time to say, get out of here. Mm -hmm. He came to Joseph the protector, right? And so Mary had to trust in God through St. Joseph. And then Joseph was the one who led them to Egypt, was, was historically in Israel's history was the place of slavery. And God led his people out of there to freedom. And True. why in the world would anyone want to go back to Egypt? <laughs> well, it's to save the life of the child, Jesus. Yeah. Um, and then, once again, here the angel says, remain there until I tell you, not go for a few months and then everything will calm down. No, it's indefinite. He just has to be vigilant and wait for further directions. How long was it? Did, we don't know. We don't know how long they <laughs> it were It says, Egypt? later it says, uh, then, we okay, so back. Herod's men went around throughout the environs of Bethlehem and slaughtered the all the boys under two years old, which mm -hmm. we celebrate celebrate their martyrdom a few days after his Christmas. And then later in chapter 2, verse 19, when Herod died, the angel of the Lord appeared to a dream, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel for those who are seeking the life of the child are dead. So Joseph got up and carried out the directives of our Lord. Um, and it just is so beautiful in, in that sorrow, the response of trust and of prompt obedience. Imagine if Joseph had delayed he got up immediately from that dream and took Jesus and Mary by night and fled. And what a beautiful model of a prompt response, especially when the life of our loved ones is at stake. Sure. And so looking at that in relation to our charism, um, how that can help when somebody's eternal life is at stake, you know, and how we can offer up our, our prompt responses, even in the face of trial, for um, this the life of others, the eternal life of others, and so they can come out of a, a life-threatening situation to their soul. Mm -hmm. you have anything to add on that, Sister? No, I think that's a beautiful way to explain that thinking of the holy innocence, those little babies whose lives were taken, and Christ's life was spared in this situation, and Our Lady's compassion for those families, and just recognizing that sometimes in our lives, we've had someone who's lost a child. Uh, it could be in the womb, it could be after very young, and just realizing what it is like to be there for a friend who's gone through something like that. And I think Our Lady so powerfully bears witness to that. Uh, she had to flee and her son survives, but her heart reaches out to those families who have lost their children. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. I mean, hundreds, and I mean, they, they talk about the, the wailing and the the heartbreak. I mean, mm -hmm. I again, I have children, and I can't imagine if someone mm -hmm. came to my house. Uh -huh. I have a two-year-old grandson and, a, and a just almost a two-year-old granddaughter right now. It's mm -hmm. like, no, right. I just can't imagine. So, okay, third sorrow. We're going to search for the child in Jerusalem. 
Okay, so let's go <laughs> back to St. Luke's Gospel account, and this would be also in chapter 2, um, so starting with verse 41. So um, every year the parents of Jesus went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. So they all three went, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, to celebrate Passover. And then um, after the feast, Mary and Joseph were journeying back in the caravan of people who had traveled together for safety. And that evening when they went to camp for the night, um, they did not find Jesus. He wasn't with either one of them. And we know from the scripture here that Jesus was 12 years old. So he was right around the age where he might stop traveling with his mother because the men and women traveled separately um, to, to become on his way to manhood and travel with Joseph, okay. with the men. So either one of them could have had him. It would have been right around what we call the bar mitzvah nowadays, okay. where it's the coming at, becoming of a man under the law. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and when they came together in the evening, he wasn't with either one of them. Can you imagine what that was like? Um, so immediately they turned around and went back to Jerusalem to search for him. And they found him after three days of searching. And he was sitting in the temple, listening to the teachers and asking them questions. And all were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So here he is, uh, 12 years old. Looks like he's ready to start teaching, right? He's come, he's the Messiah, and he's, he's talking to the, the elders. Um, his parents saw him, and they were astonished. Mary said, why have you treated us like this? We've been looking for you with great anxiety. And he said, why were you searching for me? <laughs> Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So he's aware that he's in the Father's house when he's in the temple. But this was a, a sorrow for them to be separated from him and, um, and then also to be puzzled by his response. Um, and then it says that he went back to Nazareth and was obedient to them. So it wasn't, he wasn't being defiant, but there was a lesson in this for his mother, Mary, and for his foster father, St. Joseph. Um, so... I wondered about this myself, and in my prayer I've thought about how Mary has never been separated from God through sin. She has the grace of the Immaculate Conception. She has never turned away from God to be separated from Him through her own will. But here Jesus allowed her during His childhood to taste what separation from Him was like um, through no fault of her own. And what a beautiful model that can be for us because Sometimes we feel separated from God even though we've been trying to do what's right and live an upright life and respond to God with generosity. And we can just have a struggle like this where we have a loss or we feel lost to His presence. We don't feel His presence even though He is present to us. Um, and Our Lady um, can be a good example for us of searching and, until we find Him because we know we will find him. He wants to be found. Do you have anything to add, sister? Just thinking about this particular mystery, I can't help but call to mind how strong of an illusion it has to the passion yes. and Jesus being in the tomb mm -hmm. and Mary possibly in those days between his burial and then his resurrection that memory, how strong it was when they were looking for him. Three days. Three days. And then also... His response to her, why were you looking for me? So we know that Mary Magdalene shows up at the tomb, but our Blessed Mother is not mentioned mm -hmm. as going to the tomb to anoint the body. 
I think that's very mysterious and beautiful to think about. So as far as this mystery, I also recognize that since Mary didn't know everything, she's not omniscient, and she is trying to just obey God's will in each and every given moment, here she is in these days not knowing what's going to happen next. And I imagine on just a very natural level for any parent, you lose a child, every thought goes through your mind as to what could have happened to them? Where could they be? Did I do something wrong? And so just sitting with Our Lady in that mystery, and I'm sure many parents can attest to that, I remember when my little one was lost in the store or lost Mm -hmm. at this point, and how much that can also help us to relate to Our Lady. She experienced that in a very real way. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's, a, it's the biggest fear of a parent. In yes. My, I mean, I, did you see the movie Sounds of Freedom? Not yet. We've heard about it. <laughs> it's gut-wrenching. And it's just mm. something that, that, and obviously the true story happens every day, but I remember my son, uh, we were in Kansas City shopping, and, and just all of a sudden we're like, where? You know, and he'd crawled underneath 30 seconds, maybe a minute. But I can still remember it, and that's been thirty over thirty years ago, thirty five mm-hmm. years ago, and, and and of course he got throttled after that, <laughs> as Mary kind of throttled Jesus a little bit. But you know maybe the Bible is is, is kind of kind to, but you know you just want to shake him, because it, it's not because of that fear of losing him, but then also the joy of not losing him. Mm-hmm. So I every time I say a rosary and, and we get to that one, it's like oh she had to be so frustrated and you know, but in the next breath she had to be so thankful. And, and the other thing, for three days, I mean, this is, and I don't know how big Jerusalem was. I would compare it to a Wichita or a Kansas City or a, or Chicago. I don't know. But, you know, and there weren't cell phones. There weren't police. You can't say, hey, let, let's call this place and call this place. And you guys, you know, send out the Amber Alert. Right. It's just like, just keep going and asking. And, you know, and of course, I'm sure the next thing they said, why don't we go to the temple first? We need to take a short break right now. But stay tuned to One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. We'll be right back with more from Sister Mary Agnes and Sister John Marie on the Seven Sorrows of Mary. One body, stewarding God's creation. We're back on One Body, Stewarding God's Creation on Divine Mercy Radio. The Seven Sorrows of Mary. Sister Mary Agnes and Sister John Marie. One body, stewarding God's creation. Jim Mall conducts the interview. Okay, and again, we're visiting with uh, Sister John Marie and Sister Mary Agnes on the Seven Sorrows of Mary. And we're on the fourth sorrow that Mary meets Jesus on his way to the cross. Yes, this particular sorrow. Many people can think about praying when they pray the Stations of the Cross. Mm-hmm. For Station, you have Mary meeting Jesus mm-hmm. as he's carrying the cross. And so here it is again in the Rosary of the Seven Sorrows. In that particular mystery, many people have commented on that in the Stations. Very similar meditation here with the Rosary. The realization that we don't have any recorded words. We don't necessarily have this being recorded even in Scripture that this happened. But through pious devotion, we do have this understanding that if she's at the foot of the cross, she got there somehow, and would she not have possibly been walking with him as he was making his way to the cross? Mm -hmm. 
very, very possibly. So therefore, devotion allows us to enter into that part of the mystery and imagine what that would have been like for Our Lady in those very busy, crowded streets of Jerusalem, watching everything that we do hear about that's going on as far as the people reviling him, the women who are weeping because of what's happening, the soldiers and their treatment of Jesus, and understanding that even though we have no recorded words, she's holding all of that in her heart. Mm -hmm. And this truly is a time where her heart is being pierced with another sort of sorrow. How she sees our Lord, and even if she did have an encounter with him or not during that time, there's a sense that she's with him and she's accompanying him on his way to the cross. And that's so beautiful to think about because she was there with our Lord and she does that with us. So in each one of these mysteries, as we think about Our Lady's experience with Jesus, we also then recognize, and so too does she do with us. She accompanies us on our way to the cross, whether that's today or tomorrow or the next day, she's going to be there. And that's a beautiful reminder that we have a mother who's always with us. And so I love that part of that meditation. I also know a lot of people, when they think about this particular encounter, like to call to mind the Passion of the Christ, the movie, Mm -hmm. and in that we do have, through and pious devotion that there maybe were words that were exchanged between Jesus and Mary if right. you know one of his falls along the way and and that's another beautiful part of devotion because we don't necessarily have scripture to guide us in that through our prayerful reflection we can enter into that with our lady and just allow her to help us and to hopefully in that experience recognize I'm with her I'm with our lord and they're also with me so I, I like that part of that mystery Sister John Marie well, I just wanted to add something I forgot to say about the last mystery. <laughs> okay. That's all right. Well, and actually, we can kind of look at them in groups. So the one, the mysteries we just considered before this last childhood, break sure. were about Jesus' childhood, and we find them in the infancy narratives of Scripture. And then these last four are about Jesus' passion on Good Friday. And um, we can see all of them in the Stations of the Cross. But at the end of the third sorrow, it concluded with a joy that we have in the Joyful Mysteries, which is the finding of Jesus mm-hmm. in the temple. And at the end of the account in St. Luke's Gospel, it says that Jesus went down with them to Nazareth and was obedient to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Can you imagine her treasuring that entire experience, both the sorrow and the joy? Um, but we see that twice in Scripture, once after Jesus' birth and then once at the end of this losing Jesus and finding him again, she's reflecting and treasuring everything in her heart, which, as we will see, has both the flame of the love of God mm-hmm. um, and then the virtues, which we have in our roses and our heart that we wear, and then the sword that's piercing her. And um, it's a heart that's contemplative and that prays and that reflects upon the leading of God, and then she follows. Um, and whatever he way, whatever way he directs her, she's receptive to that and then responding in faith and love and probably hope (laughs) um, with a lot of virtue and generosity but then treasuring these memories because they're revealing to her who God is and um, his invitation to her to participate in that life and as we'll see she becomes she's going to be the mother of us all Jesus is going to share his mother Mm -hmm. with us we'll see that shortly in the next sorrow actually (laughs) Okay, so we are on the uh, fifth sorrow. Uh, Jesus is, or excuse me, Mary is now standing at the foot of the cross. Um, so, I mean, this whole 
the whole passion, and I have a few comments on that in a little bit, but proceed on that. Yes, in this particular sorrow, we recognize that there are a lot of images of Our Lady at the foot of the cross, mm -hmm. and some of them show her swooning, which means she is kind of taken over by grief. She's lying on the ground. She's not even able to be present, really, to what's happening because she's so overcome by her sorrow. And I think it's very helpful for us when we think about this mystery to actually just go back to the scriptures because John tells us she stood. And so you don't have this Our Lady swooning, completely overtaken by her grief, but that God actually gave her the grace to stand. Wow. Yes. <laughs> I mean, because you think yes. the swooning is what we'd all expect. That's right. what it would be. Oh, my. Yes. Yes. If even that. <laughs> and we know that her heart was being pierced oh. so deeply. There's no sense that she's not just completely grief-stricken. But when John says she stood, that's a very powerful thing just to sit with and to pray with and reflect upon that God gave her the strength to be able to do that, to completely surrender herself to Christ's gift of redemption and to be attentive to that. So as she is standing here at the foot of the cross, she's witnessing so many powerful moments of our Lord speaking. And as we know, he has seven words that he speaks from the cross. And of those seven words, those words in particular that are referred to her, how much that would have impacted her. Uh, that memory of her hearing Jesus say to her, woman, behold your son. Mm -hmm. And here she is with John the apostle right there at the foot of the cross. And then, son, behold your mother. <laughs> well, thank goodness we've had 2,000 some years to reflect upon this because those words are just powerfully packed. Mm -hmm. And loving how when Jesus says, woman, and John, very attentive, as he's writing his gospel and as it's been passed on to us, that word woman is just filled with depth. And looking at the whole of Scripture, there are four times in Scripture where Mary is referred to as woman. <laughs> we have Genesis with the promise that is made after the fall. A woman is going to be obviously one who gives forth the offspring who's going to crush the head of the serpent. Mm -hmm. And then we have Mary being referred to as woman at the wedding feast at Cana. And then here at the cross, she's also referred to as woman. The last time we hear woman is in the book of Revelation, and here we have John again reminding us who is this woman. She's this woman who's now clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. And we know he's referring to our Blessed Mother. So those words are just so filled with depth and, and also thinking about then what that means for us. And I always like to do that when I'm praying with the mysteries to to be there with Our Lady and Our Lord and think about the great mystery that they are to us and then how they're saying, are you willing to come into this mystery and be a part of it? So I, I love to pray with this particular mystery because when I hear those words, son, behold your mother, do I really apply those words to me personally? Sure. Sister Mary Agnes, behold your mother. How are you doing on that relationship? Are you really willing to give your life to her and to let her be your mother? So just some thoughts again. So much we could say about that mystery, but you might have some additional insights, sister. Well, if anyone wants to look it up in the scriptures, um, as John's Gospel, chapter 19, um, starting with verse 25, 
standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which would be the author of the gospel here, standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. And a couple of thoughts on that. Um, so John never writes that he's the beloved disciple, but there are lots of indications that he, it's the author of the gospel. Sure. And yet, he uses the term beloved disciple so that the reader can place himself in that spot. So the beloved disciple rests his head on the, the bosom of Jesus at the Last Supper. The, the beloved disciple got to hear the heartbeat of Jesus. Um, and here at the cross, the beloved disciple gets to receive Mary as mother. Well, we're beloved disciples, and we can be there standing in prayer and receive Mary as our mother, and then be given to her as her child by Jesus himself. And then I heard a talk by one of our sisters. We have a novena every year where we um, spend nine nights preparing and speaking about anyone who wants to listen, speaking about Our Lady and devotion to her to anyone who comes or listens to the talk afterwards. And one talked about this line, from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. Then the line actually in Greek says the disciple took her into his own. And what the phrase means is took her into his own life, into into everything that is his. So do we allow Our Lady to come into our own heart, our own home, our own life? Um, I mean, God the Father trusted Mary enough to give his incarnate son into her care, mm -hmm. even in this peril, these perilous times in his infancy, right? Um, he trusted her. Can we trust her? Can I take her into my life and let her lead me? Because she's already demonstrated that she can follow our Lord with great trust and faithfulness through difficult times. Sure. And she would be a beautiful companion to me. She's a human person. She's not a divine person. She's walked this path on, of life um, with a human soul and a human understanding filled with grace of course but she's like sister said not omniscient she didn't know everything and so what a beautiful companion i mean we want jesus to be our lord and our companion as well and at the same time he's god so he's truly god and truly man but he didn't have to have faith like mary did <laughs> so um he knew everything and knows everything and mary um can we take her into our own like the beloved disciple John did. That's an invitation to us as we read and pray with this, this mystery as well. Very interesting, very interesting, okay. All right, the sixth sorrow, the tough one. <laughs> We're all kind of tough right now. <laughs> the crucifixion and descent from the cross. Yes, so we have Our Lady, she is standing, she is witnessing the gift of salvation. And she is there to receive all of this as one who is filled with grace. So in witnessing all of this, we then also know that when the mystery is consummated, when he breathes forth his spirit, that Jesus actually dies on the cross. So there are a lot of theories that, oh, he may just not have died. He was just, you know, unconscious for some time. Like, well, no, he really <laughs> did die on the cross. Mm -hmm. And from that point, they're going to then remove the body of our Lord from the cross. And as we have in pious tradition, that she was the one to receive his body after being taken down from the cross. 
And if we just take a moment to imagine what his body went through during the whole of the Passion, we know that would have been an extremely horrific sight to behold. Absolutely. Just for anyone, a bystander, but for his mother, even more so. So we can imagine what that would be like for her to be holding him in her arms and, as we know, being able to contemplate every wound that she is observing throughout the whole of his body. So, pulling from some just beautiful reflections I've, I have come to on uh, either through praying uh, with different booklets or other you know, saints who have written about the meditations of these mysteries, one that really struck me was thinking of the first time Our Lady held our Lord which would have been when he was a very, very small baby. And the joy that she would have had in holding him. Mm -hmm. And even thinking about at Christmas, how you see Our Lady holding Jesus, and it's almost like she's saying, here he is, I'm I'm giving him to you, come and receive this beautiful gift. And then now she's receiving him back from us. After we... And that's <laughs> that is that is what sin has done yeah. to our Lord's body, but she still receives it back. And just acknowledging the fact that Our Lady does not reject us for our sins. So anyone who thinks I, I've just done too much, like I just there's just no way God could forgive me, is like, well, um, He can because that is one of his greatest gifts, his mercy, and he will forgive. If we're willing to ask, he offers that so generously. And sometimes Our Lady can help us to maybe make that step and say, look at what she was willing to receive. Mm -hmm. She was willing to hold his mutilated, crucified, scourged, crowned with thorns, pierced hands and feet, side pierced body in her arms, and she received all of that. She did not reject that. So here we are, possibly broken, wounded, struggling, suffering. That is sometimes our experience. And here she is saying, I can receive you and I will receive you. And God has actually given me the gift to be your mother and I am ready to embrace you. So do not stay away. Come and here I am to receive you. And I love thinking about that because we know mercy is a gift and he wants to give the gift and she wants us to receive the gift. So being able to pray with her in this meditation could be very powerful for us to remember his love endures forever, his mercy endures forever, and he wants me to receive that gift from the cross and often he will give that gift through Our Lady. Wow, Sister John Marie. Well, I was actually praying about um, what it would be like for a parent to lose a child who has been violently killed on purpose because that's what happened with Jesus and Mary here. True. Um, and some parents have had to go through that yes, grief. They have. I mean, it's hard enough to grieve the death of a loved one when it's because of an illness or even a, like an accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are stages of grief. And Mary's fully human. She's full of virtue and grace, but she's fully human. And I can imagine, you know, like Jesus had righteous anger when his father's temple was profaned because people turned it into a marketplace. She may have had anger, but she doesn't hold a grudge. Um, And what a beautiful companion she can be for a parent who has to go through the process of grief when a child has been violently taken from them. And um, it's hard. I can't imagine what that's like. I don't know. I'll never know. I I, I don't want to know. I don't either. I mean, nobody wants that. 
Um, our Lord doesn't want that for us, but it does happen because of sin, another reason that our Lord wants to free us from sin, because it harms ourselves and others. And we, it's, it's terrible to go through. Um, but I can imagine that Mary would be a very helpful companion because she's already been there. Mm -hmm. And so for any parent who has to go through a grieving process like that, I mean, she may have been angry, but she didn't retaliate. She didn't do anything harmful to those who harmed her son. Uh, there was a grace there, a fullness of grace that allowed her to endure this sorrow. Um, we don't know what her grieving process was like, but she probably had to go through it. And I can imagine that she would be a very helpful companion for anyone else who needs to go through that process. Sure. Okay. All right. Well, we have about uh, five or six minutes left, so we have one more sorrow. So hopefully we can get that done in five or six minutes. <laughs> uh, it's been a quick hour, hasn't it? Uh, assisting at the burial of Christ. Yes. In this particular mystery, uh, one thing that I thought about before is just Our Lady's delicacy and anything that would pertain to Christ and the attention and care she would take to be able to give him a burial as properly as possible, but also acknowledging the fact that even though we don't necessarily have this recorded in Scripture, that it would be something, an understanding of this could be for Our Lady, a moment where she's able to recognize what is the last gift I can give to him while he is here on this earth? This is it. Mm -hmm. It's the touch of a mother. It is the attentiveness to his person. It is recognizing that there, there's no detail that goes unnoticed by Our Lady. And so being able just to acknowledge just the tenderness that she would have given to taking care of our Lord's body even at this point as though maybe it's her last gift to him that she can offer. But then also looking at that, why would that be considered a sorrow then? Because there is a real human sorrow in experiencing separation from our loved ones. And I have talked to students and family members and friends who experience sometimes a great sorrow, but also an anger at losing a loved one and saying, why did God do this? And sometimes it's very difficult to accept that. And I think this is a great mystery to pray with and spend with Our Lady because she's going to help us to acknowledge the mystery of death. Sometimes we don't know why the day, why the hour, why the circumstances, but God does. And so to help us to be able to give that back to him and say, I accept the mystery of this separation for whatever time frame you decide, Lord. Mm -hmm. And instead of it creating bitterness and anger because of the separation, to ask Our Lady for that help, to say, Mary, help me to embrace this because she knows what it was like to experience that separation. And that burial for, I think, any family of any family member, it can be very difficult because sure. sometimes you think, this is, this is the last time. Mm -hmm. But she had still in that midst of that sorrow, faith he said he would rise and then that hope that he always fulfills his promises so that sorrow and that joy are able to be commingled and that also is a profound mystery that we need her help to better recognize sometimes would you like to close this in prayer then yes let's close with a prayer mm -hmm. what better could we do than ask for our lady's assistance Please. Um, and we hopefully everyone knows this prayer but if not they can listen in if they're listening in for the first time of the Hail Mary in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen Hail Mary full of, of grace, grace the Lord, Lord is with thee 
Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Sorrows, pray for us. Thanks for tuning in to One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. If you're a business or a service that can underwrite this One Body show, please know that your underwriting spot can run three times during the show, which runs five times a week. The cost for all five stations is a mere $150 per month. Interested? Call 785-621-4110. You're listening to the network of stations of Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear His voice, harden not your heart. One body.